appreciate y'all coming out. Um, the Lord appreciates your faithfulness. Um, been in churches before, you know, people when the when the pastor's away or whatever, they, they tend to lay out thinking, well, you know, pastor wouldn't know. And he may not, but God still knows. Amen. So uh, you'll, you'll be rewarded for your faithfulness. Um, you'll probably feel like you're going through the tribulation tonight. Uh, but we'll get through it. If you can get the uh, Genesis chapter 12, um, pastor preached on testimony, talk, uh, preached about testimony on uh, Sunday morning. And uh, this is a message that I had prepared and actually used at the jail, the ADC, about two, three weeks ago. And uh, I would preach it from a slightly different uh, angle, a little bit differently than I'm going to preach it tonight. Um, but it was more, at that point, it was more about getting in God's will and staying in his will and making right choices and how it affects others. And there towards the end, uh, I kind of brought in the testimony. Well, tonight I want to I look at it mostly from the testimony uh, standpoint, but not necessarily the spoken testimony. Not, not the ones like you're going to hear here in a few weeks, uh, the week of, uh, of Thanksgiving when we get together on Tuesday. And that's probably about my favorite service of the year. Um, because you, you know, we start hearing testimonies from everyone and the things uh, God has done for them and, and how he's worked through some things in their lives. And uh, we've been doing it for several years now, and we're starting to get to the point where we're, we're really starting to dig down deep, and people are starting to be grateful for the, the hard times and the tough times that God's gotten them through and for even letting them go through those things to begin with. Um, so that's one of my favorite services. It's not because we eat afterwards. I mean, you know, that doesn't hurt. But I usually, you know, I don't stick around anyway because I get up early for work the next morning. But I think it's just a real good service. But we're not talking about that kind of testimony tonight. We're talking more about the, the scene, uh, the, the one that's, that, that is being witnessed and watched, uh, your actions, your deeds, that sort of thing. Uh, your words, but not necessarily, like I said, the, the, the testimony of what God's done in your life, just the words that come forth out of your mouth. Um, I'm going to read the first uh, nine verses there in chapter 12. And we'll, we'll go through this chapter, and I'll try not to be very long. It's famous last words, right? Uh, now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land into the place of Sychem, uh, unto the plain of Morah, and, and the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, unto thy, unto, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Lord God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, all those that came out tonight, Lord. I thank you for a place that we have to come. Uh, I just pray you just move me out of the way now, Lord. Speak through me. I pray that uh, your words will just take root in our hearts tonight and help us, Lord, and just draw closer to you. Pray for all those that are down in Jacksonville. I pray for that meeting going on down there. I pray for all those that are traveling through whatever means. I just ask you just get everybody uh, there and back safely, and I pray for their uh, 
just the preaching down there, and it would just uh, give everybody down there what they need to get them through, Lord, uh, uh, through these times that we're going through. I love you, Lord, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to talk about, like I said, I'm talking about the testimony, but there's, there's some things you got you got to do with it. Testimony, it, it, it defines who you are as a Christian. A poor testimony will reflect poorly on you. Okay? It'll, it'll, it'll make people think poorly, and they'll, they'll think of you uh, uh, as a poor Christian, or maybe they won't even know that you're a Christian if you have a poor testimony. So maintaining having a good testimony is very important. Okay? It's, it's paramount to, your, to who you are, to your, to your Christianity. Um, it kind of, in, in a way, it'll, it'll define you in the eyes of others. And one thing, as we read through these verses here, we'll see, the first thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about prolonging your testimony, okay, maintaining it. We want to we stretch it out. We want to we maintain a good testimony. We want to get the good testimony. We want to maintain it. We want to keep it. We want to prolong it for as long as we can. And it's easy. When, th- when things are going good, when life is good and, and everything is, is rolling right along, it's easy to do that. It is really easy to stay in God's will when, when things are going smoothly. Um, Abram, I mean, here's a good example. That Abram was right where God wanted him. He was, he was uh, going into the land there that God had called him to. He had his wife with him. He had his possessions. He had everything with him. He had everything that was needed. Life was good. Okay, And, and God told him, he said, you're going to inhabit this land. I know the Canaanites are here now, but you're going to get this land. It's all going to be yours. So God gave him the, the title deed to the land. He had everything he needed. Uh, I like he said he was travel and he would build an altar and he'd offer some sacrifices and he'd call on the name of the Lord. And he'd travel a little further and build an altar and offer sacrifices. I mean, he was just having a grand old time. He was just roaming around in the land that God had given him. Uh, uh, he had the promises. He, he had promises not only of the, the land, uh, but he had promises of, of descendants, which at that time he had none. Uh, he had promises that uh, the people, that the, the nations that, that blessed him would receive blessings, and those that cursed him would be cursed. So he had promise of protection, and, 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 and even a promise of help of other nations uh, if they, they blessed him. So he had everything that he needed. Life was good. Uh, and I can't help but think that, you know, as he's traveling and as he's setting up these altars and he, he's, he's praising God, and he's offering sacrifices, he's doing everything that God would want him to do. He's where he should be. He, he's, he's in God's will. And I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, some of these people, these Canaanites, they were observing him and they were watching him. And they're like, well, who's this guy? Who's this out of towner? What's he doing? You know, and everywhere he went, he'd build an altar, offer a sacrifice. And after a while... You know, they started, they started catching on. Hey, there's something different about this guy. You know, what, 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 is, what is going on with him? Uh, of course, there was no information superhighway back then. We didn't have no internet or nothing like that. We didn't have television or telephones. We didn't have billboards. We didn't have newspapers. We didn't have any of that. But yet man's desire for knowledge still existed. So I'm sure that they went up, you know, and they would talk to him. You know, one of them would go up and say, hi, you know, I'm Jim. I'm on the third tent to the left down there. What you doing here? You know, what are you building? Are you making a grill, a little barbecue? What do you got going on here? And I believe that you can laugh. It's lighting up. I know we're tired, but it's all right. Sorry, right. we're going we're to be all right. Um, but I know as, as, as Abram was, was doing all these things, I'm sure he had a chance to tell these people. They'd say, well, you know, what are you doing? Who are you? Where are you coming? You don't talk like us. You don't dress like us. You don't look like us. And he would tell them, you know, uh, who he was. 
and, and who his God was and why he was there. And, and he, would, he would start telling well, you know, God's provided for me, and he called me here. Well, did he tell you what to do here? Well, no, he just called me to come up here. He said he was going to give me this land. And they said, what? You're going to give me the land? He said, yeah, but don't worry. He'll take care of things. He's going to give me this land, and, and, and he, he called me up here, and he didn't give me any specific instructions other than go, and when I get to where he wants me to be, he'll, he told me the, the land I would get, and I'm free to roam about it. And he, he would just tell him about God. You say, where does it say that? Well, it doesn't specifically say that. But I think knowing what we've seen about Abraham, I, th I think that he, he was willing to tell people about God. I think that he, uh, he had an opportunity and he would tell them the things that, he had, that God had done in his life. Uh, I believe that he had a good testimony. I believe that he would, he would tell others about the only one true God. Uh, so I wonder just how many people you know, actually uh, uh, got to see that. Surely they were curious about this new guy in town. Um, so... Surely he had an opportunity to talk to him. Uh, he was in the physical and the spiritual place that God wanted him to be. And like I said, it, it's really easy to maintain that strong testimony when you're right there in God's will. And life is just cruising along and things are just fat, dumb, and happy. And then all of a sudden, things get a little difficult. Things, things get, you know, life's not always rainbows and lollipops. Sometimes it's thorns and thistles. And it's during those times that your testimony is not only going to be tried the most, but it'll be observed the most. And that's what we're mainly focusing on tonight, the testimony that is being observed. When we went to that little church on the other side of Riverside, um, the pastor there at the time, he would say, you are the, you are the only Bible a lot of people will read. And what he meant was the way we live our lives, our actions, the, the way we talk, the words that come out of our mouth, uh, the kind of stories, the kind of jokes that we, we use, uh, we tell. That's how people, that, 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 that's what they're going to get out of us. And that's, that's how they're going to, uh, uh, if, if I, if, oh boy, what am I trying to say here? That's how they're going to uh, uh, assume a Christian should be. And if you're carrying on a life that you shouldn't, and you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, you're saying things you shouldn't be saying, then they're going to say, well, you know, that's not much of a Christian. And if that's the God you serve, and if that's the way you act, then, you know, I'm not much better, you're not much better than me. So I'm just as good lost as you are saved. So we have to be very careful of our testimony. We have to, we have to prolong it. We have to take care of it. Uh, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Um, I think it's very important that what others see in us is a reflection of Jesus Christ. Okay, we have to reflect him. And we're going to do that through our actions. We'll do that through our words. Um, and the funny thing about a testimony is once it gets tarnished, it's very difficult to restore it. Now, God forgives us. Okay, that, that's the easy part. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. So if, if, if we truly come to him and we, we were, were repentant uh, of the things that we've done and, and we ask for forgiveness, he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But see, other people, they can't see our hearts and minds. They can't read what's on the inside. And they're a little less forgiving than God is. And they're going to base your actions and your testimony, past and present, and that's how they're going to read you. As a Christian, we are, and rightfully, rightfully so, held at a higher level of accountability. 
okay? Um, we, and the Bible says so. You know, we're accountable. Uh, we know more, so therefore we're going to be accountable for more. But the thing is, the lost people, they know enough to know how a Christian should and should not act and what a Christian should and should not do and what a Christian should and should not say. They may not know Jesus Christ, but they know how people that call themselves Christians should at least act. Restoring your reputation in the eyes of other Christians can also be difficult. I'm scanning the crowd to make sure that I know everybody, because what I'm about to say, I want to make sure that uh, that person is not here. Uh, it's no one that any of you know, so don't worry, I'm not talking bad about people in the church, uh, but it's something that happened at a, at a ministry that this, I'm going to be real vague about this thing, uh, about a ministry that took place this past Sunday that some of us guys are involved in, and an and individual showed up, and uh, I guess he, uh, to this, this ministry, and uh, he had a piece of paper, and it had some sort of a message on it or, or an outline, and the only verse of Scripture, I didn't get to see it firsthand, but it was uh, passed on to me, uh, and, and the only verse of Scripture on this thing was not King James. It was an NASB or something. It, was, it doesn't matter. It's a perverted version. It wasn't King James, so it really doesn't matter what it was. It wasn't the right version. Uh, so in my mind, that guy's testimony really isn't worth a whole lot. You say, well, it's kind of harsh. Well, he doesn't have the right book. He's not using the right book. And furthermore, if he's going to take that message out and tell others and he's going to use the wrong material, then there's a problem. Okay, there's going to be a lot of doctrinal issues. Uh, and I read the verse, and I compared it uh, to King James. And, and it really, at a first glance, I forget what the verse was. It was an Old Testament verse. But um, at a first glance, you wouldn't think nothing of it. But then there was just a couple very small words. And when you look at that thing, you realize that, wait a minute, it changes the meaning of why he came back, okay? It, all of a sudden, it, it, it turned things, it changed things, and it made it about man rather than about Jesus Christ. And that's what those new versions do. They're very subtle, just like their author, okay? They, 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 they put little things in here, they, they take things out, they add, they question, they change. Uh, I, I believe even the, uh, the, the periods and the colons and the semicolons, I believe everything is exactly in this book as God wants it to be. And if you get another version out there that takes a comma away or puts a colon in place of a semicolon, even though as small and minute as that may seem, they're adding to or they're, they're changing God's word. They're detracting from his word. Okay, I, I'm, I'm that uh, dogmatic about it. I don't think you should change it. I'm, I'm even leery about writing my name in it sometimes. I do that, but I'm just saying, I'm, I'm very careful uh, about that. I don't, like I don't even like when I'm reading it and I make a mistake. That's why I'm like, always try to go back and correct myself. Because I don't want to, I know that no one's going to accuse me of trying to change God's word. But I don't want to misread it or misrepresent it. Um, so we're talking about prolonging it. We're talking about maintaining it. So how do you maintain it? I'm going to use a few uh, airplane uh, aircraft maintenance uh, illustrations tonight because that's what I've been doing for 30 years. That's what I know. One thing about the, all the airplanes that I've ever uh, worked on, our, our, our companies, the companies I've worked for, we, uh, we buy the airplanes after the people carriers are done with them. 
Okay? An airplane, after it gets so old, the, the, the passenger carriers say, you know what? It's just, it, it, it requires too much maintenance to, to keep this thing in the air. So it's cheaper, and there's less downtime involved if we just sell this plane off and go out and buy a brand new one off the line. And what they realize is, after years of being in service, and after years of flying at those temperatures at 30, 35,000 feet, and after years of sitting on the, the ramp down there in, in uh, Dallas or Tempe, where you know, it's 100, 110 degrees on the ramp, and, and, and years of rain and snow and sleet and creeping down inside the, the metal seams and getting down inside those flight controls and getting down inside that composite and, and, and freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing and causing that, that, that composite to disbond. After years of that taking place, they realize that it's going to cost more to keep that plane airworthy. And it's going to take more effort. And it's going to take more maintenance. And it's going to take more personnel. So we get them. And we, we run them through the mod, and we put a big cargo door in them, and we beef them up, and we make them, uh, we, we, we fix them up so they can carry more weight than they've ever carried before, and, and, and uh, we fly them for another 15 or 20 years. But the thing, in order to do that, what we have to do is we have to give it more maintenance. We have to give it more attention. We have to do more preventative maintenance. We have to get out ahead of things and start fixing things before they become a problem. Had a guy years ago, he would, he would you know, I, I said something about changing the radiator hoses on the truck. This was a long time ago. He said, why did, it, did your hoses bust? I said, well, no. He said, why are you changing them? I said, because they're old and they're cracked. And I don't want them to bust. And it's a lot easier to change them in my driveway than it is stuck on 68 or something like that. And he just thought that was the oddest thing. He didn't do anything to his vehicle until it broke. Well... That, that seems kind of silly. I mean, that happens from time to time. Sometimes you don't know that a failure is about to happen. But other times, it's preventative. And, you, you know, you try to get out ahead of those things. we got to do the same thing with, our, with our, our walks, with our testimony. The older we get, both physically, but more importantly, the older we become as Christians, the closer we grow to him, the, the more those external forces of the world are going to bear down on us just like they do to those airplanes. Okay? The, 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 the closer we get to him, the more we try to do for him, the more we want to be like him, the more the world is going to weigh in on us, and it's going to wear us out. Just like those airplanes, the, the water will get down in there, and it will cause corrosion. And over time, that corrosion will weaken that structure. And eventually you get in there and you find out you have a fitting that's mostly gone because the, over the time the corrosion has just weakened it, and now it needs to be replaced. And, and the world, life, is very much like that to us. It'll start wearing us down. It'll, it'll start uh, causing us to falter. It'll hold us back. It'll put us down when we should be up and, and moving around. And say, so how do you fix it? Get closer to the one that can fix us. Go, go in, get to this book, get some preventative maintenance. See... Get into this book so when, when tough, tough times come, you have a few verses you can, you can fall back on, you can rely on, kind of just pop up in your head when, when things are a little difficult. I told you one, at some point this year when I was preaching, I said Genesis 1-1 was a verse that when I first got saved was one that I, I leaned on. And I, I still do. I, that verse still comes to mind. It, it's so ingrained in my thought pattern that that verse still comes to mind when things are difficult.
it just reminds me that, that God created the universe and, and he's in control. It's just a simple verse. It's nothing, you know, it's not a, a big, you know, doctrinal thing. You're not going to, you know, I don't think you're going to lead 5,000 people to Jesus on that verse, but it has meaning for me. It gives me something when I need it. That's my preventative maintenance. Get in this book. Pray. You know, talk to them. Don't just give them a list of what you want. Talk to them. Wake up in the morning. You ever tell them good morning? Or the first words that come out of your mouth are, you know, a, a, a want or a desire or a need. The first words that come out of your mouth are, Lord, you know, get these jerks out of my way because I'm late for work because I overslept. I didn't get my coffee, so clear the road because I'm coming through one way or another. I mean, or do you wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Thanks for a good night's sleep. Thanks for a mattress. Thanks for just being there that I can talk to you. Makes a big difference in the way you, you, you think on things, in the way you approach life sometimes. Um, I don't watch a lot of news. I don't, I don't listen to talk radio. Um, I just don't want to hear it. I don't even like the weather in Ohio. It's horrible. <laughs> even that's depressing. Um, there's enough things in this world to, t to get you down. Um, so I just try to focus on the things that will, you know, kind of give me something to, to lift me up a little bit, you know, cheer me up. So we talked about prolonging our testimony. Now let's talk about protecting it. Let's look at verse 10. It says, There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. So when the cares of the world, and we talked about this, when the cares of the world creep in, that's when you're, you're going to be at your most vulnerable, and so will your testimony. Uh, the two pretty much go hand in hand. Uh, the way you act will be, certainly reflect on your testimony. Um, well, just a little note here. I'm sure we're, we, we probably all know this, but it's good just to bring these things out. When I was going through um, prep, for, through uh, TBDI, sermon prep, they would say, you know, read over a verse and pray about it, or read over a passage and pray about it. Look for words that would just kind of talk to you, come up off the page, just words that would just pop. And it's a little different for everybody. Um, you know, some words grab your attention differently than others. And, and at different times that you read the passage, depending on what things you might be going through, depending on where you're at spiritually, depending on where you're at in your life, you could read a passage, you know, the same passage over and over again, and you will get something different from it. Not that uh, his word changes, but it, it, it means the same, but he speaks to you in different ways through it because you're at a different point in your life. And he'll speak to you to try and get your attention depending on where you're at and what you're going through. So when I was going through this and I was seeing this verse, well, up above it said, um, in verse 9, uh, Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And then there in verse 10 talks about going down into Egypt. Now, I understand that Egypt is south. But when he's talking about Going toward the south, that's not talking about going into Egypt at that point. He's talking about going south in the inheritance that God had given him. So he's just, you know, north, south, east, west. He's just roaming all over the place. But when the Bible says down into Egypt, that's a different story. See, Egypt's a type of the world. So typically when you see down into Egypt, that is rarely a good thing. That, 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 that should alert you that somebody is heading to the world for something. 
Somebody is heading to the world for answers. Somebody is heading to the world for an escape. Somebody is heading to the world to get something that they could get from Jesus Christ, but they let their fears control them. And they let the world determine and dictate where they should be and where they should go and what they should do and what they should say. So we see here that he went down into Egypt. Um, we always tell the kids in Sunday school, you know, God is in heaven. God is up. Heaven is up. Geographically, the earth is, is down relative to heaven. Hell is down. Okay, it's, it's polar opposite from where God is. He went down into Egypt. He was going the opposite direction of God. That should, that, that should right there tell you something. That should set the scene. That's a little foreshadowing. That's something, you know, be careful what you're reading here because there's a lesson to be learned when you start heading into the world, when you start heading down into Egypt. You say, what caused you to go down there? Worries, fears, worldly pressure, the news, the weather. You, know, you, just get, you just get nervous. You get upset. You start, to, you start to worry. You just start feeling the pressures caving in on you. And all that will eventually lead to poor decision-making. God told Abram to go to the land of Canaan, but he never told him to leave it. He didn't tell him to go to Egypt. That was, that was Abram's decision. See, there was a famine in the land. So Abram made that decision from his stomach, not his knees. See, that's the problem. A lot of us, we think with our mind rather than thinking with our heart. And I'm not talking about the muscle that beats within our chest. I'm talking about the heart that... That, that God talks about, the, the, the heart that has intents that God knows. Okay, the heart that's connected with our mind. See, the, Bible, the biblical heart is more than just a muscle. That's a whole other subject. But it's important to bring out, sometimes you just think with the, the instead of your mind, maybe you should think with your, your biblical heart, where God's word should be kept. He, he took matters into his own hands. He made decisions based off his own fears his own thoughts, what he thought would transpire. And he jeopardized his testimony in the process. And as we read through this, we'll find out he also jeopardized the testimony of, his, of, of Sarai. Well, how do you protect it? You know, you, we're talking about protecting our, our, our testimony. Well, how do you do that? Well, like anything else that you have that you want to protect it, you keep it from harm's way. Okay? You don't put it in a line of fire. Years and years ago when the faith was real little, I mean, she was just a little thing, um, probably just a few months. We were, I, I had her out. Robin was working. She worked day shift at the dog kennel, and I had faith out somewhere, and, and I was holding her, little baby. And this, this guy walked in. There's something about him. Did you ever just get a feeling about somebody? It just ain't right. You don't know what, but it just ain't right. I didn't like the way. I don't know if his eyes were too close together. I don't know what it was. I just didn't like the cut of his jib. That's all I can say. And he kept staring at, not at me, but he kept looking at my baby. I'm like, I don't like you. And, and you know, you, you just need to quit. Just, just, you just need to quit looking. So I, I don't know what was going on there. I don't know what was up with this weirdo. But so what did I do? I didn't stay in that store. I got out of the store, and I went, and I locked her in the, I got in the van, didn't lock her in the van, I got in the van, I put her in her seat, and I drove off. I said, why'd you do that? Because I don't know what was going on there, but I knew that I didn't want her 
in there any longer than she had to be. Something just didn't feel right. I got her out of a potential line of fire. See, I wanted to protect her. I got her out of something that, that could potentially be a dangerous situation. If you have a brand new nice Corvette, okay, with ground clearance like, you know, two or three inches, not a good idea to take it off-roading, okay? You don't want to run it through ruts that are 12, 14 inches deep, you got rocks seven, eight inches in diameter. Just not the best thing to do with it. You say, well, I'll go off-roading in my brand new truck. Good idea. But don't take that brand new truck off the dock and into the lake, okay? Not a good place for it either. You say, why are you saying this? Because there are just certain things that you want to protect, certain things that you hold dear, certain things that mean something to you that you know that you shouldn't take them. Certain places you shouldn't take certain things, certain uh, uh, things you should not do. There's certain places that can harm your testimony. Now, I can mention bars. I don't know that that would really do too much for this crowd. I mean, if, if you hang out in bars, please don't tell me. I don't want to know. Well, I'm just saying, I, you know, I could say that, but I don't know that that really affects this crowd too much. Um, tobacco store, I don't know. Maybe some of y'all smoke. I don't smell it on you. So, you know, usually I was, a, I was an ex-smoker many, many, well, I'm still an ex-smoker, but I mean, I quit smoking many years ago. So they always said that if you quit smoking, you know, it, it smells even worse than it did when you used to smoke. There was, there was, I don't know, I really don't know how Robin ever put up with me. I didn't realize how bad that stuff stunk until after I quit. My, my goodness. Um, that's a whole other story. Um, but there's other places you can be. Uh, I know one time we were, I think we were at the Popcorn Festival, I think is what it was, in Beaver Creek, and we wanted to go to the submarine house. And I've only ever been, I think up to that point, I've only been to one, maybe two of them. And this particular one over there in Beaver Creek by Kroger's, I guess you walk in and it's like a bar. And I said, I don't really want to be in here. First of all, I don't want to take my family in here. And secondly, we're in Beaver Creek. There's you know, a good chance any of y'all could have seen us there. You're just a few miles down the road. I said, I don't think I want to be in this place. Now, if maybe the bar was in the back and you walked into the front, the front it was just a restaurant, that might have been a little something different. But you know, if anyone's seen us coming out of there, you're going to hear all the carrying on going in the side and, you know, all that. I don't want to be seen coming in, or going in or coming out of a bar. I know it's a restaurant, but there's still a bar. Uh, I remember one time, I don't know if it was Kroger, Meyer, Walmart. I was going down the chip aisle. Now, obviously, if I'm looking for food, my mind's really not anywhere else, okay? I'm, I'm zeroed in on Fritos or Doritos or some sort of toes, okay? I'm, I'm wanting some chips, so I'm going down there, and of course, you know, you got the chips all spread out in front of you, and so I'm standing back, and I'm looking, and so I can scan the whole aisle and take it all in. So I find the chips. Well, at some point, I realized that well, right behind me is also the beer aisle and the coolers and whatever else they had back of the alcohol. I think, oh, good grief. Here I am coming out of the chip aisle with a bag of chips, but if anybody saw me, now, now be honest with yourself. You might give me the benefit of the doubt, or anyone in this room the benefit of the doubt, but come on, let's be honest. For a split second, you're going to think, oh, he came out of the beer aisle. Has he, he got a six-pack behind that bag of Doritos? It's an awful big bag of Doritos. What's he got back there? You know, you, for a split second, that thought's going to enter into your mind. Now, you may dismiss it, but it's going to be there. See, what, what are you saying? Just be real careful where you go. Be aware of what's going on. Be aware of your surroundings. 
It might be completely innocent to you, but to others, they may look at it differently, not knowing, not having the knowledge that you do of the situation. The Bible says, um, it says some. It says a lot of things. Um, oh, for heaven. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Boy, just as quick as I thought of it, it went out just that quick too. Um, so we're supposed to abstain from all appearances of evil. We're not even supposed to look like we're, we're doing something remotely wrong. Don't do or say anything that can harm your testimony. I was a mechanic on the floor for almost 20 years. I think really the only ones that have fouler mouths than mechanics may be sailors. Okay? I've heard it all, and I've said it all at least twice. Okay, I, before I was saved, I mean, I was there. I, you know, I partook in all of that. But after I got saved, then those jokes, those, those, that, that language, that off-color humor had to stop. Because what if it didn't? Then I wouldn't have been no different. I wouldn't have come me out and be separate like the Bible says. I would have been just like I had been before and just like all those that, that I worked around. So you got to be careful of your speech. You know, watch, watch, what your, watch what your jokes are. Anybody knows me and tells, you know, knows that I tell a lot of really bad jokes. I tell dad jokes. Why? Because they're clean. They're not necessarily funny, but they're not dirty either. Um, you got to be careful of certain things. Um, don't leave the window open in a nursery. we got people in this church that will think you're, the ladies are in the nursery smoking. So don't leave the window cracked open, okay? That's not the case. Um, but on a more serious note, if you're in there and you open the window, make sure you close it and put the wood down to uh, lock it. Um, but no, I mean, that's, that's a silly little example. But you know, somebody came up to me and said, hey, you, know, you got to make an announcement. Tell the women to quit smoking in the nursery. Then he explained to me what was going on. And, but, uh, you know, hey, somebody that doesn't know could, could actually believe that, could think that that would be possible. Uh, don't partake in the wrong things. You know, I can throw it now. This is probably going to be the most subjective one of all of them. You know, I can throw gambling out there, and I think we'd all pretty much agree on that. But then you're going to have some people say, well, you shouldn't go see movies. You shouldn't watch movies at all. Okay? Then you have others who say, well, you know, I think certain movies, but you've got to be careful. To... Look, you know, all I can do there is tell you, do as you're, as you're led. Do what the Holy Ghost tells you to do. Okay? And be careful. Don't be a stumbling block for others. That's one thing that really worries me, and I'm real careful when, I, when, when people come over or when they do something, and we're going to partake in an activity, whatever it may be. I'm like, hey, I always try to be up front with them, say, you okay with this? I mean, it's not anything ever bad, but I, I kind of go probably too far in the other direction just to be sure. You say, well, why? Because I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to have to stand. Look, i got enough things I'm going to have to answer for. I don't want to add that to the list why I made somebody else stumble and falter because I was too caught up or too worried about doing something that I wanted to do that I didn't stop to think about them. The older I get, the closer I get to death, the more I realize there is very little. Actually, no, strike that. There is nothing here worth risking my testimony for. And there is certainly nothing here worth causing another brother to stumble. And there's also nothing here worth causing a lost man to reject Jesus Christ based off my actions or deeds. There's just nothing here in this world that's worth any of that. So 
you got to be careful with that stuff. You got to you got to protect it. You got to watch what you do with it, how you use it. So we've talked about prolonging. We've talked about protecting. Let's talk about the proximity, the proximity to to God, to God's will. Let's look in verses eleven to fifteen. The Bible says, And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know thou art, that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Your state will have a direct effect on your testimony. Okay, It will di- dictate your testimony. You say, what are you talking about? Your state. I'm talking about standing and state. Your standing is one of two things. You're either lost and you're on the outside of Jesus Christ, or you're saved and you're in Christ. Once you're in Christ, your standing is it, it's sealed. It's done. It's not going to change. Your state, however, you're in fellowship, you're out of fellowship, you're backsliding, you're getting closer to God, you're getting further away. That's going to change throughout your Christian walk. With steel line from Dr. Peacock, he, he puts it best this way. I always have a heart standing in state, remembering which one's which. Get in an airplane, you take off from Dayton, you fly to Sacramento. When you take off, you're in that airplane. When you land, you're in that airplane. All the states, the whole country in between, you're in that airplane. What changes is the state you're going over. You start out in Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and so on and so forth. The state changes but you never leave that airplane. Kind of a, an easy way to look at it and think about it. You're gonna, you, once you're in Christ, you're always there. That's not going to change. But your spiritual state will. That's what I'm referring to, proximity. Proximity to God's will. Where are you at in regards to Him? The further you get away from God and the longer you stay there, again, the more vulnerable your testimony will be the more vulnerable you will be. Things you do and say can affect others, and it will also affect their testimony and their actions as well, as we read in this passage. We'll get into that just a little more here in just a bit. What I found out, though, is when you're you're controlled by fear and you're making decisions based off of your your human mind and and you're basing your decisions off the newspaper articles and what they said on the news and what you read on the Internet... When you're making decisions based off of that, you're going to find out that it's real easy to justify anything you want to do. And and you're going to get in a situation, and pride's going to set in, and rather than admitting that you're wrong and that you, you messed up and you made a mistake, you're going to justify your actions. You're going to justify the reasoning for staying there. I know a guy years ago, He's dead. I don't know if he went home to be with the Lord or not. I'm not sure if he was saved. I tried talking to him. He, uh, he said he was, but boy, I'll tell you, I don't, I can't, you know, all I can do is go by his, his profession. Uh, he said he was saved, uh, but, but he was saying that, uh, you know, he was, he was shacked up with a woman before they got married. They were living together, and 
they were, he was talking about how they were, you know, uh, fulfilling their, their physical needs. And uh, I tried to tell him, I said, that, you know, that's called fornication in the Bible. You know how he justified it? Well, God wants me to be happy. See, he's using the Bible or, or uh, uh, general thought out of the Bible to justify it. Well, sure, God wants them to be happy, but not that way. That's not what God's concerned about. He wants them to be happy as far as, as having, having a, a successful, joyful Christian life, not fulfilling his physical needs. But that's what people will do. They'll justify it because they don't want to give it up. They're too prideful to admit that it's wrong. Talking about proximity. I told you, I worked for many years. I worked on older aircraft. I'm now in administration. I write paperwork for older aircraft. I know what it takes to maintain these things. I know that after they get so many cycles that, that the maintenance involved, I know that airplanes won't even fly certain aircraft after 50,000 cycles. It's just, not, it's just not even economical to do it. The maintenance you got to do to do to them to keep them in the air beyond 50,000 cycles is just, it, it's astronomical. So I'm, I'm familiar with older airplanes. I'm also familiar with the fact that we operate all over the globe. We're on all the continents. Okay? And you start getting out into some of these faraway places, and you start getting away from your maintenance facility. We don't have a maintenance base at every airport that we land in. We don't have outbase station everywhere they touch down. We don't have a hangar to do maintenance everywhere they, they land. See, that we only have maintenance bases every so often. Some places, we don't have a maintenance crew at all. If something goes wrong with the airplane, we have to contract with another airline that has people on the ground, work out a deal with them. So, or we have to fly people there. It's usually what we do is just take our own people. But the thing is, what I found out is the further you get away, the further you get out there, the harder it is to, to, to fix those problems when the aircraft is further away from the maintenance facility. So now when something breaks down, you don't have any parts available. You don't have the manpower available. Logistically speaking, it's a nightmare because now you've got to move all this stuff to a remote location in a reasonable amount of time. And in aviation, a reasonable amount of time means three days ago. Okay. Airplanes don't make no money sitting on the ground. They don't want them on the ground. They want them in the air. So now you've got to get everything you need to this remote location because it's farther away. So what do we do? We bring the planes back in for regular maintenance. We bring them back into the hangar. Sometimes, although the physical distance from God doesn't matter, the spiritual difference, the spiritual distance is what makes the difference. Sometimes you just need to turn around and get back to the throne room. Get in for your checkup. Let them take you in and tune you up a little bit. Fix what's wrong. So you get too far away. You get too far away from God and you stay out there too long. And all of a sudden those problems that start setting in become harder and harder to fix. You've been away from, from God for too long. You've been away from the throne for too long. You're not getting what you need anymore. You're getting away from his word. You're not getting that daily... Uh, filling of his word. Your diet is all wrong. Your spiritual diet is off. Your poor testimony, we talked about it'll leave, it will become a stumbling block to others, lost and saved. If you partake in things you shouldn't, then you need to be aware 
that your actions will be leading others down the wrong path. They're going to look at you, and people are going to look at you. Young Christians are going to look at you. Maybe even older Christians, maybe not more mature Christians, but older Christians are going to look at you. Maybe, maybe even more mature Christians that are just, you know what, they just really need, they're going through a tough time, and they know all the right words, and they know all the right verses, and then, you know, they got all the promises and the assurances, and they have all of that. But every now and then, they're just, they're just going through a tough time, and they just need somebody to lean on. They need an Aaron or a Hur to hold up their arm for just a little bit. They need that rock that they can rest on. And they're going to look at you, and you're going to be a mess. And you're going to cause them to falter. Or a young Christian that doesn't know any better, that doesn't have all those assurances, is going to look to you because he's looking up to you as somebody that should know right from wrong. And you're going to go down the wrong path, and he's going to falter. Or a lost person is going to look to you. And like I said earlier, they're going to say, well, if that's the way you act, that's really no different than the things that I do. So really, what makes you different than me? And they're going to walk away rejecting Jesus Christ because they figure, well, what's the point? We all act the same way anyway because they haven't made the connection. It comes from the, the heart, the mind's heart, the acceptance of Jesus Christ. All they see is your outward actions. So in a sense, you're your brother's keeper. You're accountable for your actions, and you're accountable for how they will affect others. You've got to be careful what you do and how you do it. Don't get too far from God. Last thing here, verses 16 to 20. He entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sleep. And, oh, I'm sorry, he had sheep. <laughs> well, I think he did get some sleep at some point. But he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister, so I might have taken her to, uh, to me to wife? Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Your testimony is priceless. And we get down through this thing, and i got to ask, was, was the damage that Abram did to his testimony, was it worth the cost? See, he harmed his testimony in the eyes of Pharaoh. He went down, he got where he shouldn't have been, he got away from God, physically, geographically, spiritually. Where do you read there that he was building altars and offering sacrifices when he was down in Egypt? He wasn't. See, he got away from that place where he was doing that stuff. He got away from where he had communion with God and fellowship with him. He was no longer building those altars. He was no longer offering those sacrifices. He was no longer calling the name of the Lord like he was when he was in the land of Canaan, where he was supposed to be. So he damaged it. Now, was it worth it? His testimony among the Egyptians, the world, type of the world, was shot. That could happen to us, too. You're supposed to be out there and we're supposed to be leading people to Jesus Christ or at least telling them about Jesus Christ. And if you have a lousy testimony and they know it, then what good are you? 
You know, that's why uh, I've mentioned it before. Found out, I praise God when I found out when I, when I got turned down for a management position, when I found out that, that part of that job was, was mandatory to go to an after-work dinner in Wilmington where others were drinking, others that were part of the company. As soon as I heard that, I mean, I was, up to that point, I was a little frustrated that I didn't get the position, maybe even a little bitter. But when I heard that, I thank God that I didn't get it because you know what? 10, 11 miles up the road is a jail ministry. And it had been nothing for those guys in the jail to see me at that place down there in Wilmington. Even if I wasn't drinking, it wouldn't have mattered. goes back to what I said earlier. wouldn't have been worth messing up my testimony to those guys in the jail if I'd have got that job. What good would that have done? God's taken care of me. He's provided for me. I clearly have not missed a meal. So, so what did you miss out on? The only thing I think I missed out on is an opportunity to ruin my testimony. So I'm okay missing out on that. I didn't miss out on a thing. There's a lot of other things that job could have cost me too. Sometimes you don't always know why God does the things he does. Sometimes he lets you know. But I think it's important just to be grateful when he makes a decision in your life and just trust that he knows best. It took a little while for me to get to that point, but he, he, he had some grace with me and, and he showed me that. He didn't have to, but he did. And I was real glad that he did, very grateful, because it meant a lot to me to know that he protected me from that situation. See, it was important for him that I, I have a good testimony to go down into the jail too. So that was a situation that was completely out of my control, that it was unbeknownst to me. But God knew about it, and he took care of it. Abram brought grief and trouble to a people that he otherwise could have been a testimony to, one true God. Like we talked about, like he more than likely did when he was up in Canaan. See, he probably didn't get that opportunity down there. Not, not the longer he stayed and the more trouble he got himself in, started getting his wife to tell lies, and he was telling lies, just digging deeper and deeper. Why do you think he wasn't building altars? He was too busy trying to cover up his lies, trying to keep his own skin alive. He didn't trust God like he did. God says, get up and go. He goes up and he leaves. He trusted God. A little famine sets in. His tummy starts growling. He heads down into Egypt. All of a sudden, he's telling lies, and he has to tell more to cover up for him. And just more and more, he keeps on sinning just to cover up old sins. He's getting away from God. Fear of Abram, operating on his own outside of God will, God's will, ruined his testimony. That's what fear will do to you. You start operating outside the boundaries God sets for you, where he wants you to be, it's going to ruin your testimony. It's going to affect it. What I think was uh, noteworthy in all this thing, you get down there and you read through that, God intervened. He still had enough mercy on those heathen Egyptians to let Pharaoh know what was going on here. And Pharaoh understood the magnitude of the matter. And, and even though Abram had lost his sight, God still provided a way for those people. And I like their response. It says, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. They sent him away and his wife and all that he had. They said, man, get out of here. You ain't nothing but trouble to us. See, when you start acting on your own, that's how the world will treat you. They'll, they'll reject you. They don't want you because you're bringing trouble upon them. I said, man, don't, you ain't got nothing for me, Abram. You're no different than I. In fact, you're worse. Just get away. Get. We've given you stuff. Just get out of here. We don't want you around here no more. That's a bad state for a Christian to be in. You shouldn't be driven off by the world. That's a problem. I'm going to wrap this up. So if you want something to last, you need to maintain it. 
We've all got vehicles in here. I don't trade my vehicle in every year and get a new one. I've never had a lease. I don't trade them in every three years. You know what I do? Work on them. Fortunately, God's given me the ability to do some small things to them, change oil, change brakes, little things like that. You maintain them. Keep them around. You try and take care of them. You want them to last a little longer. It requires a little bit of attention. It requires some observation. It requires me to go out there and look at things and look at belts and look at hoses and tires and this sort of thing. Same thing with your, your testimony. You've got to examine it every now and then. Look at it. Say, you know, my testimony in good shape? Did I, I got some cracks here that need to be taken care of? Is there some corrosion setting in over here that I've, I've, I've ignored this for too long? Now all of a sudden it's starting to get corroded and, and starting to weaken me? You got to take care of it before it uh, causes a breakdown. You also need to protect it. You got to shield it. Keep it close to your heart. Don't put it in the line of fire. Don't put it in harm's way. Protect your testimony. Don't do things you shouldn't do. Don't go places you shouldn't be. Don't say things you shouldn't say. Stop every now and then. Check. See where you are. Break out your spiritual GPS. Where are you at in proximity to God? How far have you gotten away from Him? Notice I said, how far have you gotten away from him? He's never left. He's never moved. He's unchanging. He's always right where he always has been and always will be. See, when there's a gulf between us, it's it's our problem. It's a sin. We get away from him. Stop every now and then. Slow down. Take a a, a reading of where you're at. Find out how close you are, how far you are away from him. And lastly, prolong it. We protect it. We check the proximity. And why do we do all this? What's the, what, why? Because it's priceless. Because there's no amount of money that can be uh, set to, to, to recover your testimony. There's no amount of money worth losing your testimony. It's hard to recover. It's hard to get it back. It's hard to, to restore it once that thing's been tarnished. It's not impossible, but it takes a whole lot more effort than it would have just to maintain it. You've got to learn to consider the cost. Is the, cost of, is the price of sin worth the damage that it will cost to your testimony? Father God, I just thank you, Lord. Uh, we're going to enter into a prayer service here now, Lord. I just ask you even now that you would just put your hands upon the prayers, Lord, and those requesting them, and uh, your will would be done. I pray for this message, Lord, that it uh, just a help to us tonight, Lord, and, and uh, we'll gain something from it. I love you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.